Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about the God of Tea. Before we start, with your indulgence, a word of shameless self-promotion. My book, From the Wall to the Water, documenting the journey I undertook from China to Europe in the footsteps of an ancient explorer, is now available for pre-order from Amazon. So go to Amazon.com and search for From the Wall to the Water. Thank you very much for your support. Also, before we start, let me properly give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I was inspired by the excellent article on the same subject in Atlas Obscura by Professor Miranda Brown, who teaches Chinese history, particularly culinary history and the history of medicine at the University of Michigan. Indeed, I'll be taking much of what I say from that article, which I recommend everyone to Google and to read. A while back, I was forwarded this joke that was going around the Chinese internet. The gist of it was to imagine what would happen if someone went back in time to ancient China, specifically to the Qing Dynasty in late 3rd century BC, specifically if this person went into a restaurant and tried to order food. Many, actually most, of the dishes that today we consider both commonplace and emblematically Chinese were not available at that time. Many necessary ingredients only became available after centuries of trade and cultural contact along the Silk Road. Many more were only introduced after the European quote-unquote discovery of the New World in the late 15th century. So, the joke goes, our hypothetical time traveler, frustrated that every dish he tries to order turns out to be unavailable, asks if he can simply have some tea. Sorry, comes to reply, Tea won't be a thing until the later Tang Dynasty, nearly a thousand years from now. And even then, it'll mostly be the literati who drink it, not everyday people. This is the story of how tea drinking became a thing. And the man who made it that way. Lu Yu was born in 733 AD during the height of the Tang Dynasty. Or maybe he wasn't really born in 733. Maybe he was born a little earlier because he was actually an orphan. We don't know who his parents were, and 733 might have been the year when a Buddhist monk found the abandoned child rather than when he was actually born. Neither do we know, really, where his hometown was. His alleged hometown 
was where he was found. The story goes that the monk, known as Zhizi, and the abbot of a temple by the famously scenic West Lake, one day heard the cries of geese behind the building. He went out to look, and found a trio of geese covering an abandoned toddler with their wings. The monk brought the boy back into the temple. But as a man of the cloth, the monk couldn't personally adopt the child. So he arranged for the Li family to adopt the child, who now took Li as his surname. When the boy was seven or eight, though, the Li family wished to move back to the town they originally came from. The boy didn't want to be a burden to his adoptive family. So instead of going with them, he returned to the temple to see the monk Zhizi. Zhizi invited him to join him in his religious order. But the boy didn't wish to become a monk, so instead he took a job at the temple as a caretaker, and he changed his name, taking the new name Lu Yu. By consulting the Yi Jing, or the Book of Changes, it was during this time, during this second stint at the Longgai Temple, that Lu Yu learned how to read. It was also during this time that he had his very first taste of tea. He was unimpressed. He called it ditch water. You see, at the time, people didn't really drink tea. They didn't consume it as a drink in and of itself. Rather, as Professor Brown puts it, what bothered Lu was not the tea, but all the other ingredients. The offending brew contained scallions, ginger, jujube dates, citrus peels, dogwood berries, and mint, all of which cooks threshed. Together to make a smooth paste. The result was a chunky soup, or even a sauce. At the age of twelve, Lu Yu ran away from the temple and joined a theater troupe. Lu Yu was not very good looking, and he even had a bit of a stutter. But he excelled at playing the comic relief, the clown. Years later, he would even compose a three-volume collection of jokes. In 746 A.D., Lu Yu happened to perform in front of the local governor. The governor was so impressed with him that he sponsored the teenager's education, paving the way for Lu Yu to join the ranks of the literati. In the ensuing years. Lu Yu came to devote himself to the leaves of this plant, tea, that he actually loved, despite his early pronouncement that the soup form of tea tasted like ditch water. Not only that, but he found good friends who loved tea just as much, as Professor Brown puts it. When Lu wasn't performing in a comedy troupe 
or writing elegant treatises. He was busy scouring the forests of the Southwest in search of the best tea leaves and the perfect brew, which he made for his wealthy friends. In 758, Lu Yu, in fact, moved to the city today called Nanjing, specifically to study the art of tea. Two years later, in 760, Lu Yu moved to today's city of Huzhou to live in seclusion. There he was neighbors with two other major tea connoisseurs, and the three friends drank tea together and debated the art of the thing. In the 760s, Lu Yu published his thoughts on tea in a three-volume book called Cha Jing, the Tea Classic. In this book, Lu Yu argued that one ought to drink tea plain, as a pure liquid in itself, not as one ingredient in a confused admixture. Professor Brown quotes James Ben, author of Tea in China, A Cultural and Religious History, to suggest that Lu Yu held this view because he thought tea was a kind of elixir. Lu thought that tea's magical properties would be dampened if mixed with more mundane ingredients such as rice. So he insisted that tea be consumed only with water and a hint of salt to improve the water's taste. Lu also frowned upon tea gruels or soups. Professor Brown further explains, to convince readers to ditch the extra ingredients, Lu explained how to ensure a beverage that could be enjoyed on its own. For example, he stressed the importance of acquiring pure spring water and fine tea powder, using high-quality implements such as charcoal-burning stoves, and hewing to established procedures, such as whisking the powder to produce a foam top. Omitting any of these steps, Lu warned, would ruin the taste of the tea, resulting in a weak or gamey flavor. But when meticulously prepared, plain tea was sublime, the rival of clarified butter and refined sweet Jew beer, which were then gold standards of culinary excellence. The tea classic became wildly successful and influential upon its publication. It made Lu Yu famous, and people came to call him the sage of tea, the immortal of tea, or even the god of tea. Professor Brown attributes part of the success to Lu Yu's gifts as a self-promoter. The man was an actor, after all. But Lu Yu was also enjoying his tea and writing his book against a historical background of upheaval. If you remember the episode we did on the Anshi Rebellion, you may recall that this event began in 755 AD and will not end until 763. 
It was a massive rebellion, essentially a civil war that consumed China, and it very nearly destroyed the Tang Empire. Census data from the time suggest that the Anshu Rebellion might have killed two thirds of the Chinese population, or at least it reduced the population counted by government census takers by about two thirds. In Professor Brown's words, in the wake of the disaster, the hard partying ruling class sobered up, literally as well as figuratively. Written in a classical idiom, Lu's tea classic persuaded the rich and powerful that the leaf offered a healthful and elegant alternative to wine and beer. China's Mandarin class took. Louis's recommendation to heart. The tea soups of Louis's youth quickly grew out of favor. In was the Zenish consumption of the pure liquid brewed from the simple leaves, and twelve and a half centuries later, Louis's influence upon all of us remains strong. It was assumed, as a matter of fact. That tea was to be drunk the way Louis recommended. By the time European sailors first encountered it in the 16th and 17th centuries, when they traveled to East Asia, and so it remains generally the case today. In most parts of the world, most people, most of the time, drink tea as a beverage, and not as a soup, and not. As leaves for chewing. For that, we have Lu Yu to thank. This has been M O D G. Thank you for listening.